and they can start the party at Scotland. That's a brilliant goal from Gary Jones. And Henderson, oh, what a goal! Oh, he's drilled home by Steve Davis. Here, then he comes Matheson. Oh, he scored! And now it's Johnson. That is a hugely important goal, which may just keep Rochdale in League One. Hello and welcome. Unbelievable, he's gone again. He's just taking a Hello and welcome to the Rochdale AFC.com podcast. My name is Dean and I'm joined as always by Chaff. Chaff, are you getting on, mate? Yeah, not too bad now, mate. Thank you. Now that Luke's here. <laughs> and Luke, I don't know what's kept you, but it's good to finally have you with us. Yeah, pleasure, Dean. <laughs> um, so, a couple of games to get our teeth into tonight. Um, from Dale for the last week. There was a defeat at Fleetwood Town on Saturday, followed by Dale's first home win in six months uh, with a 2-1 victory against Swindon Town. And then later on, we'll be joined by Richard Wilde to talk through uh, Chris Dunphy's potential return to the club uh, and talk a little bit about his, his past with the club as well and, and his current role as a Football League official. So looking forward to speaking to Richard later on. But for now, we're just going to dig into those two games and we'll start with the Fleetwood game. Chaff, um, I don't know about you, but afterwards I felt like there was no hope of surviving relegation after that because it was a really, really flat performance, wasn't it? Yeah, it was absolutely awful, wasn't it? Um, it was as bad a performance as I can remember. Um, it was up there, if not worse than the, most of the, the Steve Air rain, if we're allowed to say that. Um, it, there was just no... There was, there was nothing. I didn't see any fight. I didn't see a lot. I didn't see much quality. I didn't see a team seven with seven games left needing points desperately to stay up. I didn't see that. And I think that's what disappointed me because Fleetwood weren't particularly good either. They were there for the taking. The league position tells you that. Um, they've, they've only beat us 1-0. But I didn't at any point think we were we were going to win that game. I just didn't see it there at all. Um, no desire. Nobody looked, looked, looked like that they were up for, for what is a, and has been pretty much all season, a relegation fight. I just didn't see, didn't see it at all. Yeah, Luke, I think that was the kind of feeling for most of the fans, wasn't it, on Saturday, that it, it felt like a performance lacking in fight and desire, which is the last thing you want to see as a supporter when you're trying desperately to get out of the bottom four. Yeah, it felt it just felt empty. It felt like nothing was riding on it. It felt like we were kind of you wouldn't have been you won't be surprised if someone said, you know, there's two mid table teams there. Um just kind of having a game of football. It was a bit weird really. Um it was, it was a weird one because um that's the very least that you expect, isn't it? Especially at this point in the season, you expect that kind of um, you know, just running into the ground, um, you know, going for every tackle, going for every challenge. And, you know, I wouldn't say it was a non-committal performance from us. It, it was just empty, though. There was no urgency. And um, I kind of get um, the comments from BBM around not alluding to placing too much importance on each game because you can soon kind of chase it too early and things like that. Um, but... 
especially when you go one nil down, you've got to react, you've got to change it, and you've got to, you've got to go for it, especially in our position. And it just didn't feel like that's that was ever the case with with the way we were playing. Um, we didn't take it to him. We didn't throw men forward when it came to kind of chasing the game. Even the last ten minutes, it was just a real empty, low quality performance from us. Yeah, Chaff, I think one of the subs that we were all hoping to see was uh, the introdu- introduction of Jack Vale. Uh, now, instead, when Matt Dolan went out, went off injured early on, BBM turned to Quadro Bar in, again instead. Um, he was pretty awful on Saturday, wasn't he? He did not look like the kind of player who'd be attracting interest from the likes of Manchester City. And I think it's, we've said it before, but he's definitely not a centre forward, is he? No, not at all. Um, it's probably something that he can he can be coached into doing. But the main attributes that he's got is pace and his ability to beat people. And when he's playing as like the last line, he's he's not going to get much opportunity to do that. That's why he's much better when he's out wide. He's actually got players that he can go up against. Um, even then, though, the teams have, they seem to have sort of decided that they're going to stick two men on him and he's, he, and he's, he's sort of thwarted a little bit there. But no, he's, he's not a striker. I want him playing 20 yards further back with the ball at his feet and, and having a go and getting up the pitch not already being there and other people having to, to feed him to do that. Um, but yeah, it was, a, it was a really poor performance. Um, he had a great opportunity in the first half that fell really kindly to him and he just needs to put his foot through it, have a shot and he does that but it almost goes out for a throw-in and I think that pretty much sums up Quadro Bar fourth January. Um, yeah, he's been a, a shadow of the the player that we saw November, December, um, whether the, the, the move to City collapsing has sort of had a, a negative effect on on him. I'd imagine it will have. Um, and he's obviously got a very uncertain summer ahead on Timmy the Mean at a contract. Um, so, yeah, very disappointing. I've expected a bit more from him. I know he's very young. Um and he's obviously got a lot of ability, but yeah, it's disappointing, I think. I think you've got to ask the question as to why Jack Vale was signed as well, if we're not going to throw him on when we've got you know two up front um, and one of our strikers goes off injured early on and we bring on a, a player who quite clearly is struggling in that position when he's played there. Um, it's not that Vale did anything when he came on, but I think it's often the case, isn't it, with supporters where you wonder, you know, what's he even here for if, if someone like that isn't getting moments on the pitch when, when there were injuries in in his position, um, so that was frustrating as well. But Luke, I think that I think where we lost the game personally, my my opinion on Saturday was in midfield. I, I wrote down the notes here that Rathbone had plenty of energy and lacked quality. Grant had plenty of quality but lacked energy, um, and I think that was where we lost the game really, wasn't it on Saturday? Yeah, it felt like it bypassed them a lot. Um... It's not an excuse because Fleetwood played a better game, but I thought the pitch was um, the pitch didn't help. It was quite bobbly and what have you. But um, it was the same for both teams, and I thought Fleetwood were quite effective in the manner in which they worked the ball into their midfield players. Uh, in comparison to us, who just didn't do that, um, and O'Connell had one of his worst games I've seen for us. Um, we. 
I think, you know, it's I think that's a fair thing to say, really, because of how good he's been. But he had one of the worst games I've seen, both defensively and on the ball. And, you know, I think that kind of, because he is a captain and he is one of the leaders in the team, I think potentially that kind of, um, that spread across across the entire eleven as well. Not that it was O'Connell's fault for the entire performance, but, you know, the, the spine of the team was, wasn't good enough, um, you know, and, and they're the players that we're relying on. The likes of Ollie Rathbone, all it was poor. The energy was there, but it always is. But yeah, his energy was, his his quality was poor, and I just didn't think we found our midfield players with the ball. We went too direct, um, too early, and I don't know if the pitch encouraged it. But again, it's not an excuse because it was the same for Fleetwood. Yeah, I thought they worked it quite well defensively on the ball. Yeah, BBM said the same, didn't he? That he felt we were going direct slightly too quickly on Saturday. Um, I think that did probably change a little bit on Tuesday, but we'll come on to that shortly. Another player who, who the game sort of bypassed for me, Chaff, was uh, Connor Shaughnessy. Like, I, I'm getting to a stage now where I'm really struggling to see what he offers. I, there was a couple of games early on where I thought, well, there's potential, potentially a, a player there, a, a kind of ball winner who can play simple passes, but he's not even really doing that to an effective standard at the moment, is he? No, not really. Um... Really frustrated because I had really high hopes for him. Um, and I know he's still early into his Rochdale career, but yeah, I've not I've not seen it. I've seen glimpses of it, but he doesn't seem to be getting better. Um, the, I thought he was awful on Saturday, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, he strikes me as being a taller version of MJ Williams. I think I've said that before. But if you offered me one or the other, I'd take MJ Williams at the minute, I think. At least... I see a little bit more fight in MJ. Um, I think he goes and wins the ball more. I don't. I, I don't really see Shaughnessy winning the ball a great deal. Rathbone wins far more balls in midfield than what than what he does. Um, and he just there's just no urgency about him in anything that he does. If we were better at utilising it, he's got a weapon there in his long throw that we could potentially sort of benefit from but we don't seem to make the most of it um, and yeah I think he was uh, rightly sort of left out the side on, on Tuesday Yeah well, one player who I did want to give a little bit of praise to I think he's probably the only one from Saturday that could come out of it with any credit was uh, Gabriel Osho Luke uh, we, we, we're we both quite big fans of him aren't we we've said in the WhatsApp during the last few games that he's been one of our better performers since joining in January alone yeah, he's um, he's a proper defender, isn't he? He's he's a bit old school actually in in the way he plays. He's he's a kick and head type of player, but it's effective. Um, he reads the game quite well, um, and he's strong. He's pretty quick. You know, I think he's he's been an, he's been a good signing. Um, and like we alluded to it the other week on the podcast, you know, from an individual perspective, I'm quite happy with the centre halves that we've got available to us. Um, and, and yeah, Osho seems to be getting better and better. I think he's he's playing well, and uh, he followed that up with a good game on Tuesday as well. I thought. Yeah, agreed. Uh, and we'll move on to that game on Tuesday because we don't often get uh, a lot of an opportunity to speak about a day or win. So I think we'll spend a little bit more time on on Tuesday's result. But Chaff, I think it's important, isn't it, that we talk about uh, the kind of lead up to the game. Um, I don't ever remember sort of going into a game, especially an important league fixture with stuff riding on it and feeling like the football was secondary, but 
the atmosphere around the club leading it up to that game. And I know we'll touch on it later when Richard comes on, but it, it was very, very strange, wasn't it? I don't remember any kind of similarities in the past to that, uh, going into such a big game, feeling like, you know, the football wasn't necessarily the most important thing at the moment. It's unheard of. It's absolutely unheard of. Um, I've never experienced anything like that. I went into Tuesday and I literally had to remind myself that there was a game on um, because of all the the stuff that we're hearing um, off the field, the the negativity, and that is what it is. And I'm, I'm not the most positive person in the world, but um, there's an awful lot of people who are just so down about the football club and certain aspects of it that quite rightly need to be questioned and are being questioned. Um, and and yeah, the, the the game on Tuesday felt a little bit secondary to the the off the field issues that we have, which is remarkable given that we're bottom of the league, desperate for for points, and we're playing arguably one of the the teams that are in even worse form than what we are. Uh, and it was a really good opportunity to get three points, which we did brilliantly. Um, but yeah, it was a it was a weird feeling going into the game, um, and not being excited, not being nervous, not being sort of not not thinking about what could and couldn't happen during the game. As I, like I said, I had to actually remind myself that we were playing. <laughs> yeah, Luke, am I reading a little bit too much into it? If I suggest that perhaps it was a bit of a backs against the wall performance on Tuesday, given you know everything that was happening around the club. I know. Someone, a former guest of this podcast, kind of said to me that they were hoping that um, maybe the, the off-field pressure on, on people at the club would be held off until the end of the season, so as not to affect performances on the pitch. But with the pressure at its highest, we went and got our first home win in six months. So you know, maybe maybe it was a, a positive thing in the end. Um, I didn't. I didn't see anything in the performance that would suggest it was a backs against the wall kind of vibe. Uh, from the team um, I didn't get that impression um, but nevertheless um, I think if anything it, it was almost like we played without the pressure um, because we you know we, we got the ball down um, you know we were quite creative uh, we passed between the lines um, it was opposite to the Fleetwood game you know and I think yeah BBM alluded to it as well you know the pitch played a lot better uh, it seems to be a lot more slick less bouncy I think that helps um, I think we're able. I think Grant was in the game a lot more. Um, he's still he's showing glimpses and glimpses of a player that uh, has got potential. Um, I just think if you I think if you put a rocket up his ass, we've got a really good player. Uh, he just you know he doesn't. If he got about the pitch like an ollie, then then he'd be the full package. I think. But um, you know that you know at the end of the day, I've been impressed by him, and you know it's good to get him involved. Um, and Dooley as well, I thought Dooley played well. We were just able to play the better football, but it was more, it just felt more relaxed, I think. Uh, we were passing it about, uh, almost too relaxed at times with a couple of chances that we uh, that we afforded them. But um, I think just going back to your question, I didn't sense any backs against the wall. I just sensed uh, uh, playing without pressure, which, um, to be honest, I'm not bothered either way as long as we, we got the win, which is what we did. Yeah, absolutely. Chaff, which way did you see it? Was it? Did you think it was maybe a little bit of pressure off, knowing that you know it's not it's no longer in our hands and, and kind of whatever we do, we're relying on other results at this stage, so the pressure's off. Or did you feel that you know perhaps the players had that 
had that sense that they wanted to give the, the supporters something to shout about after what's been a, a difficult few weeks? I'm not sure about that. I think I'm with Luke on that. I don't see it as being a back-to-the-wall kind of performance because I, I alluded to it last week. I don't see the, the players taking that much interest or um, taking that much notice of the of the things that we're seeing um, with regards to the actual football club. They'll just be solely concentrating on their performances. Many of them are out of contract um, in the next few weeks and their performances will be all that they're focusing on, I think. Um, it, it did seem like a more relaxed performance to me. I, think I agree with Luke on that a lot. Um, and it was good to see, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, yeah, the, it's it's not in our hands at the minute. We're needing snookers. Um, the run rate is very high. Um, for us to be to be able to stay up, so maybe that did take a little bit of the pressure off. Um, but yeah, it was a it was a much it was a much better performance. I think the fact that Swindon were so poor as well um, aided us. I think we got off to a good start, and once we got that early goal, I'll be honest, I didn't really see another result because Swindon were that poor, um, and that will have helped. And sometimes you just need a game like that for to to give the, the players a, a confidence boost. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, it was it was good to see. Yeah, I was chatting to like a non-Dale fan um, at half time and saying this, you know, this could be our first home win in in twenty games. I think was it in all competitions? And they say they said. Usually in 20 games, you find someone worse than you. And I think we finally did, didn't we, in Swindon on Tuesday because they really were poor. And I think that is worth remembering before we go overboard with the praise. But uh, like you said, there was plenty of positives. Another positive for me was Jay Lynch. Luke, uh, I've given him stick. I, I think when we said who's been the worst performer of the season, I think I actually said Lynch earlier on, even though he'd only played seven or eight games, which you know maybe in hindsight was a little bit harsh. But... You know, credit where it's due. He made a huge save just after we went one 0 up, and he's been an improvement on Bazzini for me in the last few weeks. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, he's looked pretty solid, uh, which is all you can ask for, really. His uh, his handling's been been pretty good. Um, he's been, you know, the claiming for crosses has been pretty good. Don't get me wrong, I do get a bit nervous just because of his height. He's not the most commanding. Um, there's a couple of heart in mouth moments against Fleetwood when that were happening, but. Generally speaking, he's come in, he's done really well, he's done the basics well. Um, and you know, that hopefully gives the defenders a bit of a uh, bit of confidence as well. But um such a good save, I thought, because it did come out of nowhere. It came from Dooley Dallying on the ball at a time when we were in control of the game, and it was more of a case of we need to get that second goal. Um it came out of nowhere losing the ball on the edge of the box and he was off his line like a shot. Um, and it, you know it was such a vital save because it, if we got a goal back, you don't know where we're going with with the, the downward momentum that we have been on and the home form and the pressure and all that lot. So um, absolutely, he's been he's been pretty solid. But that save was something special because it came at a vital time in the game as well. Um, and he spotted the danger. And you know he's not been playing many games, so for someone to be that sharp, it's um, credit where credit is due. He's done very well. Yeah. Absolutely agree there. Uh, and another man who I gave a little bit of a stick to on the last podcast, but I thought was excellent on Tuesday, was um, Paul McShane. Chaff, we, we definitely do look more controlled when he's in that in that centre-back position, don't we? Apart from perhaps in the Portsmouth game. 
Yeah, um, I, I think I said it at the time. Every defender in the world is going to have a game where nothing really goes right for them. Um, and I think that was the first time, that Portsmouth game was the first time we've seen that from McShane. It's the first poor game I remember him having. Um, so it's very much an anomaly um, from his from his time at Dale. I think we we just generally, generally look a better side with him in it. Um, maybe he did need a rest. Um, and he's, he's come back and he's, he, he, he was excellent on Tuesday. I thought we lot looked a lot more organised. Um, and yeah, we just we, we, we looked a lot better with him in the side. I thought Roberts was a bit harsh to miss out, but a bit unlucky to miss out because I think he's done quite well as well. But yeah, we looked a lot more solid with McShane back in the side. Yeah, you always feel a little bit more confident, don't you, when he's there, given, his, yeah. given our record of getting points with him in the team. Um, Yet another player who I've given stick to in the past, but I thought played well on Tuesday. Uh, Stephen Dooley, Luke, you mentioned in there um, a few minutes ago, but I thought that was one of his better displays in a Dale shirt. He nearly gave that goal away where Lynch made that big save, but the energy was there. He was trying to get on the ball and, and make things happen, which is something we don't see enough of from him. So a good performance from him, wasn't it? Yeah, you know, that that's something that we lack, isn't it, in that midfield area sometimes. There's that bit of spark and that bit of, you know, someone to kind of be comfy on the ball and, 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 and make something happen and, you know, take away that mistake that he made, followed by a mistake 10 seconds after it as well. <laughs> and I thought he was really, really good. Um, you know, he, he kind of led by example in many ways going forward. And um, again, you know, speaking about kind of maybe the effects that someone like O'Connell having a bad game potentially did on, on Saturday, I think Dooley led by example with his ability to pick up the ball in areas of the pitch that were kind of risky um, and look to do something with it. And more often than not, he did. Um, so, yeah, he was, you know, he played very confidently and that, that player there, I'm, I'm happy with. I'd, I'd want to stay, I want to see him sign another contract to that player there, but we've not seen enough of it. Yeah, um, yeah. before you jump down my throat, chaff, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I, I, I thought he had a good game as well, to be fair. Apart from that um, mistake, which is an absolutely horrendous mistake and it very nearly cost us. And it, it, it was an unbelievable save from Jay Lynch, that. Um, but apart from that, he's had a good game. My issue is that, like Dean, we, we, we don't see anywhere near enough of that at all. Um, I'm just looking now at how many games he's played. Um, we're, we're probably pushing, what, 80 games? And he's probably had eight or nine good games, just not enough. I don't think he he, he contributes assists and goals enough either. Um, but yeah, I thought he, he, it was an energetic performance from him. I thought he did well in the middle of the pitch and in the final third of the pitch, linking up uh, well with the with the wider players, linking up well with Beasley. And yeah, he deserves he does he deserves credit. Cause I thought he played well. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think even even if we saw that same performance seven or eight times, I wouldn't want to give him a contract just because over 80 games, 90 games as it would be, just not seen it enough times. Over three seasons, you know, if, if you have a good spell of a couple of months at the end, then it's not enough to warrant a, a deal for me. Um, but hopefully we will see more of that in the next few games because it could help us, you know, trying to, trying to stay up, although our chances are looking quite slim still. Um 
Luke, I'll come back to you with, with, with a bit of praise as well for Jimmy Keoway and Swiss Army Jimmy, as he's now obviously being known everywhere. Um, <laughs> fantastic goal. Another good performance. Uh, and someone who has been fairly consistent throughout the season in, in difficult circumstances this year. I don't think you can. I don't think you can not like him. Um, you know, it's, fans always said, don't they, that you know, as long as someone uh, for the club kind of you know puts that effort in every time, then you're willing to kind of you know that's what you want as a as a paying spectator. And you know, to be fair to Jimmy Cahill, and he's he's exactly that. He, he I think he knows his limits, so he doesn't try and you know he doesn't try and build stuff like he can't do. Um, you know, I use Oli Rathbone as an example who I also like, but he does a lot of stuff that he can't do, um, and, and that lets him down. Whereas Jimmy is very steady, solid, uh, honest. Um, I mean, it says a lot about our season when you're actually thinking about player of the season and Jimmy Keohan being up there. I think that says how poor we've been. But, you know, take nothing away from him. You know, he's, I really like him. You know, you can tell he's, a, he's one of them with, with a good attitude, uh, who is a team player. Um, and yeah, I mean, he's chipped in with some good goals this season. To be fair to him, and that was that was a delightful finish. Um, when he took took the ball down, I thought, what's he going to do here? And he kind of didn't look that comfy. I thought, but then you know, he just popped it in the top corner. It was lovely. Um, for me, if we're going to kind of improve as a, as, a, as a squad and as a team on the pitch, I'd like Jimmy Keohan to be one of the squad players, not someone who you're relying on to. Um, you know, get those goals for you, really. But again, I don't want to take anything away from him. He had a good performance. He had a solid performance, and um, but yeah, very nice goal. Yeah, Hudders as well uh, said to me afterwards that it, it it would have looked better from his from his position as well because you could see that it was kind of angling outside of the post and just came back in at the last minute. So cracking goal uh, and so much deserved praise there for him um, and Chaff. One last player I wanted to touch on was Jake Beasley. Uh, I think, still think we need to see a little bit more of that uh, aggression once he gets into that bo- into the box and, uh, and a little bit more of a, a poacher's instinct maybe. But I thought his, his running and effort uh, levels on, on Tuesday were absolutely magnificent and uh, something that we've maybe not seen enough of from him when Humphreys hasn't been around. So a really good performance from him. Yeah, I'd agree with everything you've just said there. Um, I thought his running, his, his energy levels were really good. Uh, the amount of times that he picked the ball up around the halfway line and drove forward, I thought he was excellent at that. Linked up really well um, with the likes of Dooley, Rathbone, um, Grant. And yeah, the, the only thing that you'd probably change from him is sometimes his decision-making isn't quite there. Um, there were a couple of opportunities where he broke and got into the box, and I'm thinking, just give it a wallop, give it a wallop, and he's he's, he's chosen an extra pass, and we've ended up losing the chance. Um, but maybe that's just a confidence issue. Um, but yeah, I thought it was a really impressive performance from Beasley. Really hardworking performance. He's he's someone who goes up, who who can find up the pitch, who does the work. Not many others want to do. Um, does the dirty work really works hard to be able to create things for other people as well, um, which is why he's never going to be your top goal scorer. Um, but I'd argue, but since we've signed him in the summer, I think he's, I think he's done more than what I expected him to do, um, given the, the the jump from 
the conference, national or whatever it's called these days, national league to, to league one. And he's probably been relied on a little bit too much because of the amount of injuries that, that Humphreys has picked up. Um, but yeah, I thought he was, I thought he, he was excellent. On uh, on Tuesday and a uh, really hard working performance, and I, I want to see more of that. Yeah, um, I, I would say that he's the kind of player that I would definitely rather see ahead of a, a Calvin Andrew or an Aaron Wilbraham. We'll say that much. So I think that was an upgrade that we made in the summer. Uh, but what I will say is he got quite lucky with the winner because I think it had that ball not fallen to Conor Grant, then maybe uh, we'd have been giving him a little bit of stick instead for missing the chance, but. Uh, thankfully, it was tucked away, and, and, and in terms of, like you say, the energy levels were were excellent, um, and he was a key part of that win. So hopefully, uh, Dale can kick on from there and go into the game against Accrington on Saturday with a little bit more confidence. Even if you know it doesn't really change the picture at the bottom, we still need to pick up quite a lot of wins to get ourselves out of the position we find ourselves in. But uh, it's certainly positive to take from Tuesday night, not least. Uh, that much needed three points from a home win for the first time since October the 3rd, I think it was. Uh, so we'll be back shortly for the second half with Richard Wilde and we'll have a chat through um, his past roles at the club uh, and the current situation that's developing at the club and also his um, potential link-up with Chris Dunphy in returning to the club as well. So catch you on the other side, I guess. I don't know. What do we say? We don't normally do a break, so I don't really know when to end for the first half. But uh, yeah, we'll be back for the second half in a moment. Hello and welcome back to the second half of the RochdaleAFC.com podcast. Uh, and joining us for this half, we've got Richard Wilde. Uh, Richard. For those who might not be aware, can you kind of explain who you are and what your role was with the club in the past? Yeah, of course I can. Um, I'm basically just a fan, same as everybody else probably listening to this podcast, if uh, if truth be told. Um, I started supporting the club um, very young, probably along with certain um, other people as junior day. I was probably one of the people to be the mascot the most. I, you know, almost as though I was mascot once a month when I was... Uh, when I was in Junior Dale in primary school. So, yeah, there was a sort of a group of us who uh, I think we took it on a rotational basis to be mascots. So um, I started supporting the club, obviously, from very young and sort of just progressed from there, really. Became a um, a gold bond agent at, um, I think I would have been 18, 17, yeah, I was driving. So I must have been 18 at the time after um, Francis Collins knocked to my door. I lived in um, New Hay at the time, um, was obviously a big supporter, became a gold bond agent. And then from there, um, much to the annoyance of my mum, I turned down going to university to, to start working full-time for the club on a £120 a week under uh, the infamous Steve Wormsley. So um, it sort of just progressed from there, really. I worked at the club for um, just short of three years before I made the decision to eventually go back to university. Um, I had the summer off, and whilst I was off for the summer, Steve Wormsley left, Francis got hold of me, I was in America at the time and I um, turned down university again to come back working for the club and worked for them in 30, for 13 years in total. So, um, But primarily just a fan, been a fan ever since. Um, yeah, just uh, just someone who's born in Rochdale and supports his local club really, much the same as all of us. Yeah, um, and for those who don't know, you are also uh, an EFL official, aren't you now? So how did that come about? Did that happen after you left the club or were you already sort of 
on the progression to do that whilst you were working at Dale? No, while I uh, while I worked at Rochdale, I obviously worked weekends, so um, taking up officiating wasn't really something I could uh, I could do or, or do and progress really because you needed to be involved in, in Saturday football to do that. Um, in 2007, I left Rochdale to go and work for Blackpool, um, but my job at Blackpool didn't entail me working on Saturdays or on match days. So I sort of, um, I'd got to the age, I was in my early 30s then, and I'd stopped playing football. And just w- the following week, the lad who was in charge of referee said, I haven't got a ref next week. I know you've not passed any tests, but I think you'll be capable of doing it. Uh, do you fancy it? And I just sort of, yeah, did it. Rochdale Sunday League for Grove. It was my first ever game. Um, did Rochdale Sunday League for, for quite a few years. Enjoyed it because, like I say, I played in the league, so lads used to call me by my nickname. I wasn't called ref. It was just like refing lads you knew, really. It was um, it was sort of, I think it made it a bit easier for me because, like you say, they knew I'd played. Um, they just called me Wilf, which is what my nickname is. Um, and it was only lads who really didn't know me that called me ref. So I just sort of got the bug from there. And um, the following year, I took up Saturday football, progressed through um, non-league, and then became an EFL of, um assistant referee and that's what uh, I've sort of again progressed a little bit up the ladder sort of um, really enjoyed it to be honest with you it enjoys it allows you to get to a, a level of football that obviously my capabilities or, or, or lack of ability should I say certainly didn't allow me to get to and just going to some of the grounds that people listening to this podcast and you lads have been to we've all stood on the terraces um, I sort of lived the dream of being able to walk down the tunnel and, and officiate on matches at some of these grounds and it's just not really something I thought I'd ever do, but um, just sort of got the bug, really, and and I had a game this week and still enjoying it. So, yeah. Richard, um, somebody pointed out a, a newspaper or an, a, an online article, we'll call him Captain. Um, I'm sure you're aware of who I'm referring to. pointed out a uh, an article where you had a bit of a, you, a dodgy decision, so to speak, and uh, at Stoke City. Um, we sent Nathan yeah. Collins off and um, got a bit of stick for it um, and it got rescinded um, and he wanted to point that out to you. What do you remember from that? <laughs> I think if any, if you speak to any match official, they say they haven't made any mistakes, then um, I think they're a liar. Um, there's so much scrutiny involved in it, particularly, um, I obviously officiate on the championship now and there's so many cameras, there's no hiding place. Um, and you, you, ultimately, you, you do get decisions wrong. I mean, I've sat next to you guys on the terraces and watched some referees and thought, where on earth has that decision come from? And they probably look back at it and yeah, I think they've got it wrong. And um, ultimately, that was a game earlier this season. It was Stoke against Barnsley. Um, I thought I saw a red card offence by a Stoke defender. Um, it transpires I didn't see an offence, a red card offence by a Stoke defender. And... Um, I shouldn't chuckle because it's annoying getting decisions wrong, but that was rescinded um, within 24 hours. Um, but yeah, just, just disappointing to get them wrong. We only get one look at it. We don't have all the camera angles, of course, that everybody else, else has. And my gut instinct just said to me, red card. And uh, unfortunately, I, I was wrong. Has it been for you um, kind of refing without the fans there? Have you, has, that been, has that been better for you in many ways or do you prefer it in front of the crowd? Um, no, I 100% prefer it in front of a crowd. Um, of course, it means you get more abuse, um, but that's, I say it's part and parcel of it. I, I said to all my friends, I, I, I struggle to get offended these days because you've heard it all, haven't you? And to be fair, 
I've probably said it all as well to officials before I before I took up the whistle. I mean, I used to write the fanzine, and I can think of some awful articles I wrote in EGP about referees and Jeff Winter and and people back in the day. So it's nothing I haven't said myself. So it's it, it is water off a duck's back, but. The football is just not the same without fans. There isn't the ferocity. There's not the in, the intensity, um, all the atmosphere. You don't you don't get the when you walk down the tunnel at somewhere that's got thirty odd thousand fans in it. It's just not the same when you when there's nobody there and there's an eerie, eerie silence as you kick off. It's uh, we definitely need fans back. I did one of the games where fans were back. I think it was October time. I was at Luton and they had two thousand fans in, which is obviously the, one of the smallest championship grounds. So that was half decent atmosphere because they, they hadn't had many um, games with fans back by then um, but yeah we, we, we need fans back don't we and plus we, we all want to go to Scotland as well don't we so um, yeah I, I look forward to the day when that can happen and hopefully there'll be some games at the end of this season maybe playoffs where fans will be allowed in I hope so too as well actually what are your thoughts on VAR and have you been involved in the use of it in any of the games that you've um, that you've been Officially, for an assistant. Yes, I was um, um, very fortunate on the last game of last season to um, be an assistant on a Premier League game um, at Burnley against Brighton when obviously VAR was in operation. I can tell you from an assistant's point of view, it's very, very nerve wracking. Um, I had a decision at my end where I kept my flag down and Chris Wood scored the first goal of the game. Um, and whilst VAR check it, you're not allowed to say anything over the over the comms, and it's just so nervous. You're thinking, oh my god, have I got that right? I hope I've got it right. And then eventually it comes through, yeah, check complete. So um, from an official's point of view, it's nerve wracking. Um, I think it can be a bit frustrating from a fan's point of view when you don't know what's going on. Um, obviously, we we do because we, we're all able to communicate with, with each other. So I think with anything that's relatively new, there's always ways that it can get better. And, and I'm sure the, the PGMOL and, and the Premier League will um, ensure that's the case going forward. I mean, some of it's frustrating. Um, some of it is probably difficult for, for football supporters um, to understand, such as offside. I mean, for me, offside is black and white. You're either offside or you're not offside. You can't nearly be offside. So even when they draw lines on the pitch, it's... I can see the frustration levels for everybody. Um, so I think it's just difficult to win in some circumstances. So Richard, kind of the reason that we, we've asked you on uh, tonight is obviously the fact that you, you've kind of involved with the Chris Dunphy's potential return to the club. Um, can you explain how that's come about, uh, how you're involved, like what your involvement would be should it should it come off, shall we say? Um yeah, I wouldn't. I mean, first and foremost, with regards to Chris Dunphy's return, I'm not. When I say I'm involved with it, that's. Um, I'll choose my words carefully. I'm just trying to do the right thing for the football club. Um, and I say I, I obviously can speak on behalf of Francis as well because we've sort of done most things together. So, um, we've we've been um, particularly worried about the way the football's been. Football club has been run for. Myself, certainly for a longer period than what Francis probably has. Um, and it came to a head at the fans forum, if I'm being honest. Um, probably a couple of weeks prior to that, um, the unrest had sort of certainly started to grow in myself about the, the way the club was being run and, and it was it was treating its supporters and, and its fans. Um, and it just, just really came to a head for me at the fans forum because I, I don't know about what you guys thought, but I sat there, I felt as I was being insulted. Um, I really did, and, and and I've attended 
so many fans forums down the years. Those of you that attended the one with Graham Barrow when he came in with almost security guards flanking him. Um, even by the end of that, David Kilpatrick had managed to turn a few of the fans around. So the recent fans forum is the first fans forum that I can remember in living memory that's actually made the club look worse after it than, than what it did before it started, which is frankly some achievement. But I was just um, offended, I think is the word, by by what I had to listen to and, it, and insulted in many ways. And the morning after that, I just rang Francis and I said, I'm sorry, I just can't sit by and, and allow my football club to, to operate the way it has been doing. And things to do with, obviously, the manager's contract, which came out. I'm sorry, but they, I, I class them as farcical. They should never, they should never happen. Um, and obviously, I'm in a, a, a quite a privileged position in that, obviously, I know a lot of the large shareholders and are able to ring them up um, through my involvement at the club and, and subsequent conversations I've had with them. And I just said to Francis, I said, we have to do something about it because if we don't, and the club continues to run um, the way it is doing at the moment, I worry we might not have a club in August and I can't be any sort of supporter and look other fans in the eyes and think I might have had the opportunity to do something about that because I can ring up certain people and, and large shareholders and say, listen, we need to sort something out and, and, and get it get it in, back into a, um, a better position than the football club finds itself at the moment. So we... Um, we set, the, we set the sort of ball rolling, I think. Was the fans forum a Tuesday night? I can't remember whatever night it was. It was it was the morning after. I just rang Francis and um, I said enough is enough. And having watched the fans forum, I think my wife shouted at me three times because I was swearing at the, at the laptop as I was listening to things, just laughing at things, thinking, my goodness, I've, uh, I was just appalled by it, to be honest with you. And, and, I, and that should never have been allowed to happen. So we... Um, we set the ball rolling the morning after just by making a few phone calls, really. Um, and we said from the very outset, there's only four people, really, who can, who the fans, and, and I class myself as a fan, just like you guys are fans, I'm no different. I, there's only four people that the, the fans would really trust to sort this out. And that's um, David Kilpatrick, Gray Morris, Andrew Kelly, or Chris Dumphy. Um, they were the only four people that, would be able to come as a figurehead for our football club and, and, and look to sort out the problems that we, we clearly have. Um, so we, we obviously spoke to, to those people and Chris at the time was really the only person who was prepared to sort of put his neck on the line and say, um, I'll sort of get back involved in the football club again. None of the four people particularly wanted to be, to be involved in the club again. They're all um, David Graham and Andrew, obviously of a certain age um, that, I don't think it's top of their agenda to, to have to try and sort out the mess that we've that we've got at the moment. Um, so it really left Chris as the as the major figurehead to um, to to put his name forward and say, listen, I'm prepared to do something about it. I'll invest some of the, my money back into the football club, um, and I'll look to make some of the changes that are, that are then necessary to sort of help us survive. Um, and we had a couple of meetings with Chris. Um, and obviously, Chris is very well regarded by the majority of the supporters. Um, but it transpired that uh, Chris didn't have the support and, and doesn't have the support of the large shareholders of the football club. So as I stand here doing this with you, um, I can't see a way that Chris will um, be back involved in the football club. Because even though 
an AG, an EGM and an AGM will be called very shortly, I would suggest. Um, if Chris was to put his name forward to return to the football club, I don't think he would, or I know he wouldn't get a satisfactory number of votes to enable him to become chairman again. Okay, that's. I think that's kind of a, something that we, we weren't particularly expecting to hear. But um, I guess the question then would be, what's the next step in terms of, you know, like enacting change and, and bringing someone new in? Because I think that's what all the supporters now are. I mean, a huge, huge majority of supporters are hoping for is someone new to come in. Um, what kind of needs to happen, as far as you're aware, from, from the situation we're in now, to either Chris or somebody else coming in and making that change? Um, I think things have been underway for um, approaching a month now to, um, to rectify that problem. So, um, Andrew Kelly is obviously interim chairman of the football club. Um, Andrew Kelly has the best interest of the club at heart. Um, and is somebody that I know there were people demonstrating at the football club um, on Tuesday and there may well be at subsequent games and, and they're, they're entitled to do that as long as it's done in the right way, in my opinion. Um, Andrew Kelly is somebody who has the football club at heart. Um, he's born in Rochdale. He's put his money into the football club. And I think Andrew is looking um, at seeking ex- investment into the football club. Obviously, there's been a couple of statements, hasn't there? and Obviously, a few names have been banded about of people that, that were that were at the game on Tuesday night as potential investors. I think that's the avenue that Andrew and the club are looking to pursue at the moment. Um, and and good luck to him. Hopefully, we can we can find people who are prepared to invest in the football club. It's never really been an avenue we've pursued before, is it? We've always been self reliant and, and generated our own income, whether it's via the um, large income from the lottery or by selling players or cup runs we've always been self-sufficient and not necessarily had to rely on an investor so it's a slightly different route that I think the club could be potentially going down but um, I wish Andrew nothing nothing but the best in hopefully sorting it out. Uh, how worried were you this week with regards to the um, the statement of uh, Dan Altman and, and Emre um, about pulling their interest so to speak um in investing in the football club and, and becoming a big part of it. it it worried me um i'm not gonna lie not because they're not going to be involved but because they've seen something that that has completely and utterly put them off um from your perspective how how do you feel about that um I, I haven't spoken to them personally um i know um francis has corresponded with them via email um I have to be honest and say it didn't worry me and it didn't surprise me what they said because um, what they said in their statements, I think a lot of us feel that there are severe problems at the football club. Um, so it, it, it was nothing new to me and, and I wouldn't have thought it would have come as a major surprise as to, to, to supporters. Is it worrying that they should say what they said? Undoubtedly so, because we support that football club, don't we? We don't want it to have severe um, internal issues that, in their opinion, haven't been addressed. We don't want to read things like that. It's not an enjoyable read. Um, but did it come as a surprise? I have to say, no, it didn't, no. Uh, can you speak maybe as to why Chris maybe wouldn't have the support of the major shareholders if he was to try and return to the club? Um, a good question. I think it's a question you've got to ask. There's a lot of water under the bridge um, and and history involved, um, obviously, in 
the people who remain large shareholders at the football club. Um, and we had many discussions with them um, about how they would like to see the football club going forward. Um, and they just didn't feel that um, Chris was the right man to be to be leading the club. Um, I, I don't really want to say much more. I think it's up to other people to say that. It's not for me to, 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 to probably go into too much detail on that. Luke, there was a question that I think you had last week, wasn't there, about um, the potential of using David Clough's um, legacy fund in terms of buying shares and stuff. But um, I'll let you ask that in a, in a second. But just in terms of that, of that fund, uh, Richard, you and Francis were the executors of the will. Um, can you talk about like the, the processes that you've been through uh, in terms of you know the scoreboard and the, and the other things that are going on, I don't know if we can speak about sort of the other things that are happening as well with that fund. Um, but it's definitely being used um, as a positive for supporters, isn't it? As as was intended. Oh, one hundred percent. And I would I would never allow, and Francis would never allow that not to happen because we swore to David Clough that we would we would do the right thing. Um, and David told us. Well, I don't know. Fifteen years ago, what his intentions were when he when he when he passed away after Mrs. Clough had sadly departed before him, he we knew full well what was coming the day the day David passed away. So um, it wasn't a surprise to us. We we like to say were fully aware. So we were able to have conversations with Cluffy um, before he passed away. Basically, I know it sounds an awful conversation to have. What do you want us to do with your money when you die? But he was that type of character that you could have those conversations with him because. Um, he, he he was just such a, a, a lovely guy that, um, yeah, he'd point out and he'd say, oh, what do you think about this? And the odd profanity would be involved. And Cluffy was Cluffy. You could you could have the bluntest of conversations with him and, and um, that's the way he wanted it to be. But um, in terms of where do we stand now, we've, we've spent in the region of, um, I think it's about 65,000, 65,000, 70,000 pounds. There's one or two things that we're just confirming at the moment. So um, you will have seen, obviously, the scoreboard has been purchased and that's going to be um, erected above the away supporters um, once we can ensure that the stand can hold the weight of the scoreboard, which is just something we've been dealing with this week, ironically. So that will be in place for the for this, um, first home game of next season when fans will be in place. We've obviously already installed um, air conditioning in the main lounge, which for any of the people listening to this have been in the main lounge in the summer will know that that was an absolute priority because it was just like an oven in there at times. We've replaced the roof in the in the main lounge as well. So that was all smoke stained and damaged. So there's a brand new roof in there that David has paid for. We've um, installed 13 new 43-inch televisions in all of the exec boxes funded by David. Um, there's brand new partitions um, separating all the boxes. So I think there was five partitions in total that, again, had probably been there since the stand was, was built, I would suggest, and they were falling to pieces. So we've, we've funded brand new ones of all of those, and they're already in as well. Um, we've this week agreed to um, purchase a quantity of unsold football shirts from the club shop to give away to kids throughout Rochdale. So we'll announce um, details of that in due course. Again, all funded by David Clough. But the bulk of David's money remains invested at the moment. is actively growing in value. Um, and it will be used. Every penny of it will go to the football club. Obviously, it goes without saying. Um, we just need to make sure that the football club's in a good place and the right place when that money is, is handed over or we enter into projects 
on in David's name that we know when he looks down, he would have wanted us to do. So the idea of the shares um, was an interesting one. It wasn't something that was ever set in, st set in stone. We don't currently know the financial position of the football club, do we? And until, or, or should I say, we don't, the fans don't, I'm sure people at the club do, but we don't know how healthy or unhealthy it is. So one of the ideas that, um, that Chris suggested was that if he was able to get back into the football club and there was a need for an injection of money into the club, could we insert David's money and receive shares in return for it? And Francis came up with a fantastic idea that we could potentially do that and, and put them in the name of fans and put them in the name of, so the, the shares would be owned by Rochdale supporters. So the club fan, the club's fans would have an active role in the running of the club because we would be a significant shareholder at the time. And that would be David Clough's legacy to the fans that he's bought them a big, share of the club so that was potentially one of the ideas that we had um should the club's financial position be be a dire one is that something that you could possibly go back to even if uh chris kind of his plan doesn't kind of come off and he doesn't return to the club is that something yeah. that could happen anyway yeah yeah i mean i think i think it's we obviously not we're not too sure what road the football club's going to go down i think we have a a pretty good idea that an in, an external investor may come in and and inject some funds into the club, which is great, in which case there may not be a need to purchase loads of shares and have a cash injection into the club. Some people, Somebody might come in and come up with some ideas to, to have different projects around the ground and use David's money that supporters can, again, see how his money's been spent. So we were talking a memorial garden and various other things, but don't forget that the, the bulk of David's money hasn't been spent. So we're not talking a, a small fry in terms of in terms of money. It's all sat there. It's currently invested in in, in stocks and shares and has been growing in value for the last couple of months. So um, it's, we have a, a lot of money still to spend. And I'd say at this particular moment, there's no set way how we're going to do it. But every penny, one way or the other, will go to the football club and will benefit the fans in one way or one shape or form. Speaking of Cloppet, um, obviously there's. Um... There were plans in place to to have a statue erected in his um, in his seat. How far along are we with that? Um, we're very far along. I saw the first drawings this week. So, um, uh, well, I say drawings. The first model. It's actually been been. Um, you, what tends again? I've never done this process before. It's not something you order very often. A statue, is it? So, um, we've 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 appointed a sculptor. Um, when the funds reached £10,000, really, we appointed the sculptor, um, somebody who has a relative who's a Dale fan, ironically enough. So it was a, it was a bit of a good link. Um, and we've appointed him. He's received, we've sent him drawings of Cluffy and pictures and he's gone away and moulded it all. And we had the first draft of Cluffy sat on a seat this week. So we've shared that with, um, with the people who knew David and we were able to make tweaks at this stage. So there's one or two... Um, David was a, a unique looking chap and I told him this to his face so I'm not saying anything to, to you guys that I wouldn't have said to him. Uh, he was a unique looking chap and we, we, we need to make one or two minor adjustments to his facial features shall we say so that uh, bless him we all know it, it's, it's cluffy but for a first attempt what I saw it was absolutely phenomenal and I can't wait for it to uh, for it to, to be put in the main stand and if, if you're listening to this and you donated I, I'm so grateful and we're all so grateful that uh, um, we're able to remember Cluffy in this way because I do think it'll become quite iconic when it's sat in the seat. I really, really do. 
Um, and I can't wait. And that, again, that will be in place for the first game um, when fans are allowed back in Scotland at the start of next season. Yeah, I think all supporters are looking forward to seeing that and, and seeing the scoreboard and kind of seeing where that money has gone to um, and such an amazing thing that he did for the club that I don't think any supporters will forget in a hurry. Um, just speaking on that first game back next season, you mentioned before you were kind of worried about the future of the club and maybe getting through to that first game of next season. I guess I just wanted to finish on asking, you know a little bit more than us, um, are you still worried about making it that far or, or are you a little bit more optimistic about the future um, after the last few weeks? Um, I, th- I think what's what's happened over the last few weeks is that we've began the process of change um, and we're not continuing to sail down the river oblivious as to that there's nothing wrong. Um, and the last few weeks, I think, like I said, we've we've, we've began to hopefully see um, change in, in the offing. We don't know what that change is going to be in terms of how it's going to work, what the makeup of it will going to be. Our city are more comfortable that things are being done now, whereas I would probably contend the night that fans forum went out, there was nothing being done. And we were just carrying, we were just happy as a football club to carry on the way we have been doing. I do feel now that um, there are strides being made behind the scenes to hopefully um, bring about change in the way that the football club is run. Um, but until things are signed and, and things come into the public domain, you can never say never, can't you? So I sincerely hope so. Um, I have every faith in, in the interim chairman to be able to address the problems um, that he's currently dealing with and, and hopefully find the outside investor that, um, that will come in and um, take the football club forward again. Because in my opinion, we've been, we've been going backwards for, for a while now. Yeah, I think that's something that most supporters would agree with. Um, I think we'll sign off there. But Richard, thanks very much for joining us tonight. I think we've certainly learned a lot. Hopefully everyone uh, listening in will have learned quite a bit as well about the current situation. So thank you very much for giving up your time and, and chatting to us. No problem at all, Jensen. Privilege. Up the deal. So cheers, Chaff. Nice one. Thank you very much, mate. Cheers, Richard. Cheers, Luke. Cheers, pal. Catch you all next time. Up the deal. <laughs>